Hello, my friends, and welcome back to Idle Chatter. I'm your host, Ray Bohax, the hot rod farmer from Cat Swamp Road over in New Jersey. And hopefully everything is going well for you today and during the past week. And I want to uh, start out by giving some shout outs. And I want to thank two people for pins in the map that I received this week. And uh, I probably will once again kill your last name on both of these both of these pins. All right, the first one is Eric Urschel, and he is from Huntington, Indiana. And he told me that he listens to the show on Sirius XM Rural Radio, Channel 147, and the Idle Chatter podcast. And as you know, then whenever I get a pin in my map, you get announced on both shows. So, Mr. Urschel, if I'm pronouncing it correctly, I want to thank you so much for listening to this this guy from New Jersey, right? This dryland farmer from New Jersey in both of those venues on the podcast and on the Sirius XM show. But also, I'm quite, uh, well, I'm not going to say quite familiar, but I've been through his farmers on the outskirts of Huntington, Indiana, but I've been through Huntington, Indiana a number of times. Because when I go out west, uh, west is anything west of Hackettstown, New Jersey, right? So that's almost the whole country. But I, when I go out to the Dakotas, out to Nebraska, or to Des Moines, I used to go to Des Moines quite a bit to visit successful farming. Uh, Meredith Corporation, which no longer exists. Now it's something dot dash. A crazy world we live in. But anyway, I take... Um, 224 i picked it up in ohio and i run 224 across into indiana and i pick up 24 and i go right through huntington and i've been doing that ever since 2008 so it's been quite a a, uh, quite a long time sadly i remember 2008 as if it were yesterday so (laughs) i guess uh, the time is flying by but i go through there so you're neck of the woods and maybe i ride by your farm so who knows and hopefully so but thank you so much for listening to my shows and then i have to give a special shout out to mr john j-o-n arts a-a-r-t-s and then again sir i hope i'm pronouncing your name correctly and he's from Chilliwack, british columbia and uh, and john and i have communicated back i guess maybe a year or so ago and i know that he has a lives in a beautiful beautiful area of Canada, that British Columbia area is gorgeous. And uh, even though I've never been there, I've been up in the northern part of the United States, right near there, but northwest, but never over into British Columbia. It's someplace I definitely want to go one day. It's on my bucket list, maybe on the way to Alaska, because it's my dream since 1977 or 76 to uh, maybe 76, I was a little kid when they would work on the Alaska pipeline. I dreamt of working on the Alaska pipeline, becoming a welder and going up there and making a lot of money and then coming back here to the farm. But anyway, uh, he uh, he contacted me a while, well, long before this whole uh, pin license plate deal started <clears throat> and we had some communications and I knew that he was up in that neck of the woods along with some other listeners I have that have reached out to me. I have a lot of listeners there, but if they didn't reach out to me, I would not know that. I just know from the demographics or whatever they call, they don't call it demographics, but it's the, the analytics or whatever. So so anyway, but uh, John reached out to me the other day to give me a pin in my map, and it gave me the opportunity to ask him because I was thinking about him and the other listeners that I have, but specifically him with the horrific floods that they had out in British Columbia this past fall. And uh, he got back to me and he thanked, thank God, his places. I know he has a number of different farms, I believe, and also ranches and a few houses there in different areas. And he was unscathed. I think he had uh, some, uh, not fence rows, he said, I uh, maybe put a stone wall up or something and forgive me John for not having that correct uh but then I think some damage to a center pivot or some some minor damage in relation to everybody else and uh but what was wonderful is that John and I'm going to embarrass him here because he wrote me this letter and it was personal but he along with so many other people up in that neck of the woods other Canadians just just rallied to the cause of their neighbors and their their fellow their fellow 
residents and uh, Canadians, and uh, I don't know what the proper term, I'm looking for a more powerful term than that, and they went out, and John was one of the many that went out and helped people move cattle, move equipment, did whatever they had to do, and and that is truly the character of a man, and uh, when people do stuff like that, and John, I'm honored to know that you are a listener to my show, and uh, all the things that I won't share everything that he said in the letter because it, it was personal, but and the, the, the trials that are still going on for those poor people up there, some of them be living in a hotel for a year, and he, he, his words were on his note to me that they lost everything except what they could put in their cars. They left as the floodwaters were coming, and what a terrible, terrible terrible experience i cannot imagine what that is like so john i want to thank you for being a person that served your fellow your neighbors and i'm calling them neighbors but people that they didn't even know so that's wonderful and i'm honored to have you as a listener to this guy from new jersey and now moving past that that wasn't a good segue the way i did that i i didn't mean to do it that way to go and now but we have two winners for the hot rod farmer license plate so I need for you to reach out to me, both of you, and uh, Mr. Russell Orr, O-R-R, from Grayside, Missouri, and then uh, Mr. Keith Stearns, and he resides both in Alpine, Texas, and North Pine Creek, Oregon. So if you reach out to me at Hot Rod Farmer at FarmMachineryDigest.com and send me your mailing address, I will be able to get that hot rod farmer license plate out to you and if you want to try to win a hot rod farmer license plate all you need to do is send me an email at hot rod farmer at farm machinery digest or the best way for you to do it is to go to my website and susan moore my art director put up a nice little tab there you click on it you fill it out and that's what john did and filled that out and uh mr urschel i think he did that also uh but I think he sent me an email through one of the other links. But can't remember anymore. No disrespect. But uh, but uh, a lot of emails and correspondence come in here. And I remember the people. I remember what they said. But I can't remember how it got here. And uh, just click on that and fill it out. And I will have your address uh, from my files for in case you win. And so that is that. <clears throat> and uh, let me see what it's Oh. I want to I want to share some <clears throat> very good news, wonderful news, with you, and that is from uh, from Cody Cody and Megan Reisman out in, <clears throat> out in Pennsylvania, and their little baby Cole came home and he's doing wonderfully, and the good Lord has answered everyone's prayers, and he sent, Cody sent me a three or four or five pictures of little Cole, and he's got a little, uh, I don't know what they call it, I call it a jumpsuit, I think. We never had any children, so I'm totally naive to that. Uh, animals, no, but children, yes, so I think they call it a little jumpsuit or whatever, I don't know, what, whatever he had on, but it had a John Deere tractor, so I guess he's going to be a green man, Cole, and another one says, Daddy's little farmer, and he looks, looks healthy as a horse and a beautiful little baby, so that is wonderful, thank God, and he is home safely, and he's home healthy, healthy, got great color in his face at an arrestment farm on his farm where he belongs so we have to you know we have to thank the lord for that blessing because so many times in life and we're all guilty of it and i am also that we know where the lord is when we need something and then we do a quick little thank you and we go on our way and uh, forget about how merciful he was right just like the like the 10 people the, the blind people that were healed and and only one came back to say thank you so uh so that is great and then i i personally want to say a special thank you to gene worst and justin forcier for their continued prayers they both reached out to me for their continued prayers for the for our cat donald who as of me recording this the Saturday before it airs on Wednesday, before it drops on Wednesday, has is not home yet. So, but we have faith in the Lord that he will come home and uh, we're trusting in the Lord. And I want to thank you so much, Jace, Justin, excuse me, and Gene for your prayers uh, for for Donald. And that means, means the world to me. And uh, let me see what else I want to tell you. Oh, I was supposed to be 
going by the time they, when the show dropped, I was supposed to be going out to uh, to Michigan, excuse me, uh, Wyoming, Michigan, and to do a on the road podcast with the owners of Torque Storm Superchargers, and that's a really interesting story. How they got into it. their Mich- Michigan car guys, they own the supercharge co- supercharger company almost by default, and I uh, was really looking forward to doing that, but sadly, I had to cancel the trip. Um, or postpone is probably a better word, not camp, and not go out there then because I do not feel uh, right leaving here and leaving Charlotte with going to work, and we have to feed Allie's kittens. The three are only left, and we're feeding them formula, kitten formula, KMR kitten formula, with a uh, syringe with a, a nipple on it. It's actually a special nipple for baby animals and small animals, squirrels, kittens, what have you, uh, called the miracle nipple and feeding them with a syringe five times a day. And the, the three kittens are doing wonderfully. I weigh them for every feeding. They're, each one is between 222 and 250 grams. I'm weighing them on a postal scale and keeping records for that. So they're doing wonderfully. So I didn't feel, and with Donald being not home yet, and I'm saying yet because I trust that the Lord will bring him home, Yet I didn't. I didn't feel. I would not have felt comfortable being 700 miles away from the farm, uh, leaving Charlotte with trying to go to work and feeding the kittens, leaving Allie in the house with the kittens all day by herself. But most importantly, that we could have worked out is that I was afraid that that Donald would come home. Not afraid. I I didn't want Donald to come home and me not be here. And God forbid he came home injured. And then Charlotte would have been having to take him to the vet and the kittens and too much, too much. So I just postponed that trip. And we will definitely get them on the road podcast. But also, at the same time, I do have another guest that is scheduled to be on the road. And it's going to be a telephone on the road because of his schedule and my schedule and where he's located. And it is Mr. Matt Hagen. And if you're a drag racer and, and follow NHRA drag racing, that name is going to be very familiar to you. And he is a three-time champion uh, funny car driver. You know, top, well, they don't call it top fuel. It's called alcohol funny car, which I don't even think exists anymore. And then there was funny car, and funny car was top fuel. So Matt Hagen, is a, he um, he drove for, uh, who did he drive for? I'm not big in following these, the, you know, these, these teams, so so whatever. Um, he drove for, I forgot who he drove for. Uh, I remember. Who <laughs> owned the funny car? That's not good, right? But I'll think of it. And then he's now with Tony Stewart Racing. Tony Stewart actually started a drag race team. And because he married Leah Pritchett, who was a top fuel, oh, oh Schumacher, that's a Schumacher, like the battery charger company. I don't know if it is the battery. She's so, so um, <clears throat> Matt worked or drove for Schumacher and then he just switched this year to uh, Tony Stewart and Tony Stewart married Leah Pritchett who was a top fuel driver and they he put together a team because he had a NASCAR team Tony Stewart and uh, maybe he still does who knows so anyway the long the, the, the crux of it is that I'm going to be doing in a, in a week or two an episode of On the Road with Matt Hagen he's also a farmer I believe he farms almost 4,000 acres in Virginia, so he's going to cover both the cars and the farm, but it's going to be, I'm really excited about, you know, I reached out to him, he said he wants it, he wants to do the, wants to do the show, he wants to be on the road with the hot rod farmer, and, uh, and uh, so I'm really excited about that, I've been working through his PR person, and we're going to get that all happen, and I just think it's going to be a great episode. And I believe that he is a first, don't hold me to it, but a first-generation farmer and a first-generation drag racer. So he is a uh, going to be quite an interesting man. And I told him that I want the story from the funny car seat backwards. Everybody knows him, or I shouldn't say everybody. He's, you know... Uh, very well-known famous person with nhra drag racing and top fuel and funny car that's it that's the that's the pinnacle of that sport so uh, you don't get any bigger than that so i'm really blessed and excited to have him on the show and getting to know him a little bit so uh, that is that i am going to try something new but i need feedback from you guys is that I'm going to clear my throat out, but while I'm clearing my throat, instead of trying to hit the pause button, which sometimes messes this soundboard up, I'm going to hit a little bit. And this is for you, Matt Hagen, top fuel.
All righty, how do you like that instead of me coughing and clearing my throat in the into the microphone? So I still may have to do that, but let me know. Hot Rod Farmer at FarmMachineryDigest.com. Hey, that's the Hot Rod Farmer cough button, right? You're supposed to have a button where you kill and mute the sound, and you're supposed to go in there and edit it, but that's way, way too technical for this guy. So, all right. So 15 minutes into the show, you know everything, and uh, we're going to get rolling here. And what today's show is going to be about, let me just get a drink of water, is something, <clears throat> it's not going to be overly technical, but I think it's important for you to understand this. And it's, I'm not going to say it's an FYI, but to understand the mindset of the industry. And what I'm going to say is the auto industry, which obviously encompasses, encompasses pickup trucks, and you have to keep in mind also that uh, New Holland, Case IH, two great companies, two great farm equipment companies. And for those who not are re- that are that are listening, that are not really that that much into agriculture or quasi into agriculture, is that there is very there is a, a, a high level, and supposedly it's waning now, sadly, but still a very high level of brand loyalty within agriculture. And this brand loyalty goes from seed, but especially goes to equipment and anything that's motorized equipment. So um, you'll have, and they go by color. So they call it color loyalty. And I've you know explained this before because John Deere is green, Case IH is Case uh, Case IH is red, Case International Harvester is red. These to be years ago two separate companies. It was Case up in Racine, Wisconsin, and there was International Harvester. And then at one particular point, they joined. And then New Holland is blue, and New Holland was part of Ford, and it's blue, all right? So uh, I happen to be a blue farmer. And then there's, uh, let me see what else. Uh, there's, there's, other, there's other brands. Um, so uh, Fent, Fent is green. They call it Nature's Green. Massey Ferguson is red, but it's a different kind of red. So, But the three main players in the industry are so it would be like like the big three and i'm not gonna i don't want to say the others aren't big but you usually say you're red you're blue or you're green so and with the the blue and the red tractor right the case ih in new holland they're owned by stellantis which used to be well ff it was part of Chrysler. Let's just put it that way, because I can't even keep that uh, keep the keep that company straight. I mean, great company, <clears throat> Chrysler. Well, I still call them Chrysler, but this the land that was uh, it was Daimler Chrysler. It was uh, uh, FCA Fiat Chrysler. I'm going to just call for a second, so we're going to try try this top fuel thing. Yeah, right. If that becomes annoying, I need to know. <laughs> so, uh, please. So, we're always trying something new here, right? But anyway, so they, so basically, those two companies are owned by a car company. And Stellantis, which used to be FCA, owns a Ferrari. They own Alfa Romeo. So, the Iveco trucks, or Iveco, or I call them Ivecos, and another, another brand. So, so what I'm going to be talking about today, that I took you around so far that you're spinning around like you're on a centrifuge, you don't even know what I'm talking about anymore, and I don't blame you because I probably don't, is that um, the industry, the agricultural equipment industry, really takes a lot of its leads from uh, the auto industry. And even if you look at now, like with this right to repair, that was something that we had in the auto industry many, many years ago. And interestingly enough, uh, John Deere came out. I don't know why people were picking on John Deere. Maybe because they're the biggest target. But the right to repair. If you have a Case tractor or a New Holland a tractor or, or a, a Fent or a, a Massey Ferguson, the same issue was there. But for some reason, they threw darts at John Deere because I guess they're the biggest player in the business. And they just released really recently released something. I think it's called Service Advisor Pro or something like that, where you could buy. 
and they sent me some information on it and as an aside to this i'm hoping to get a representative on my radio show on farm machinery digest radio talking about and they sent me some pricing and i was very close to being on the money it's six thousand dollars to get into the program to be able to buy you have to buy their laptop you have to buy well, the cables and i knew it was going to be five or six thousand dollars because that's what it is in the car business because and and no disrespect to anybody i mean that's and i and i it's and at five or six thousand dollars i would not be surprised if deer is losing money on everyone it sells so the thing and you have to go through training and if they only give you a certain amount of training and then if you need more training it's five hundred dollars a session so as i always said and i did a podcast on this i spoke about it loosely on my radio show a while back that this is not the utopia that people think it is but anyway so and i'm sure other companies are going to follow suit and do the same thing and that's really going to end the right to repair thing right because i and i'm not going to blow my own horn but i was the only one in the industry saying hey you want the right to repair get your checkbook out and also be prepared to learn a lot of different things and learn how an engine works learn how electrical circuit works and what have you so but let me not get off on my high horse with this so let's turn the clock back and say since since what i'm going to be talking about today is the perception of quality and you may say the perception of quality you're going nuts right <clears throat> what do you mean there's either quality or there's not quality no and within the auto industry which is now being brought over to a certain extent but it's not advertised is there's actually something called the perception of quality and what I'm going to do is I'm going to make, an, make a, 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 an analogy to you. Let's say that you're walking down a dark street at night in a strange city. You went to go to Commodity Classic, right? Like this year where I was in New Orleans. With no disrespect, I wasn't that impressed by New Orleans. But no city really impresses me. But anyway, but I liked San Antonio and Orlando uh, much better. And even California where I was in New Orleans. So what happened? But I love Louisiana fantastic people there but i'm not a city person and where i stayed was down 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 downtown so anyway but let me get back on track so you walk you're walking down the dark street at night in a strange city and you see two two guys two men approaching you walking the other way in the sidewalk and the two men are dressed up in suits and ties and they look it's dark out right and they look like business people the fact of the matter is the reality being that your heart doesn't skip a beat because you don't feel threatened by those two men so your perception of those two men are that they're two business people that are walking down the street they're not going to try to jack you up they're not going to try to rob you they're not going to try to knife you're not going to try to do anything all right so now you continue to walk your heart doesn't skip a beat you just whatever going around going down walking to back to your hotel now you get in the next block and you see two guys walking towards you and they look like whatever you want to call them drug dealers gang members uh whatever they look like undesirables and now your heart starts to skip a beat your blood pressure starts to go up you get nervous maybe and look and hey you know no shame in this because this would happen to anybody you you're suspicious of what this and they're walking towards you and uh your your heart rate your pulse rate goes up and they pass you by and nothing happens thank god right the thing basically is your perception of them was that the the, the two people that looked like businessmen your per- that looked like businessmen was your perception of them was that they were never not going to bother you they didn't look threatening and your perception of the two other guys that looked like they were gangbangers all right they you you were suspicious of whether they were going to rob you or or do what have you so you your emotions and your actions and your and your 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 pulse rate and whatever was a hundred percent based upon perception and the perception of it was that the guys in the business suit weren't going to hurt you and the guys that look the guys that look like drug dealers or gangbangers had the potential to do something to you well the thing basically is the reality is both of them passed you by and did nothing so you will never know maybe the guys who were with the suits and ties just knife somebody and rob them 
right, or, or what have you, and maybe the two guys that look like gangbangers were coming from a Bible study. We don't know that. We'll never know that, right? So what has happened is that, what does this mean? Is that, that you know, the old saying, you can't judge a book by its cover, looks are deceiving or what have you. And the thing is that in the auto industry, about 40 years ago, they started to bring started to come into play was the perception of quality and is i make no bones about it that i'm an american guy i'm an american car guy and i'm a patriot i'm, I'm american all right i'm patriot and i have listeners throughout the world last count 83 countries in the world and i say the same thing to you that if you listen from that you should be a patriot for france you patriot for germany patriot for canada you should be that you should be a patriot for your com- for your country so you should embrace and be proud of the products that your country makes not what my country makes but what your country makes and you should support them and you should and uh they should you should be beaming with pride with them but also on the same token there's a caveat attached to that uh, you shouldn't be beaming it that the company that's making that should have the same passion in their heart that you have so if you are if you're in france and the company is making washing machines or making clothes or making cars or making farm tractors or what have you they should have the same passion in their heart and say that i'm a frenchman that i want this this tractor this this car this whatever it may be to be the best it could be because it represents my country my people so anyway so i'm an american car guy right i'm an american guy everything no bones about it don't hide it i wave it baby <clears throat> now the thing is that if you turn the clock back 40 years the japanese were making a big inroad into the united states in the automobile industry and they used that as a foothold and they got into everything else but they were making a big inroad and prior most listeners are probably too young but in the post-world war ii era is that any that there was that they used to say jap crap that everything that it was junk from junk from japan crap from japan and then the and and if you're a toyota guy or a honda guy you're probably going to get your ire up on this right so but but the facts are the facts so what had happened was that the japanese and you have to and you have to realize that the japanese and the and now the chinese but specifically uh, was specifically the chinese type but the japanese even though they competed uh in the united states against one another so honda would compete against toyota toyota would compete against datsun right and and there wasn't nissan back then it was datsun and then mazda came into play they didn't come into play later on until later on but collectively they had and i'm going to use the word a battle plan and maybe that's a little bit too strong and what i'm telling you is fact whether you choose to believe it or not because i come from like you have to remember, I had one foot in the auto industry for years. And they collectively re- recognized what they needed to do to be able to penetrate the American market. And one of the things that they needed to do was was to, to debunk or what have you the perception that it's, that it's Jap crap. And pardon my language, but I don't believe that crap is a curse word. And Jap crap. Oh, that's Jap crap. I have my own Toyotas. And um, so, and the other thing they had to had to battle or overcome was the idea that you could not get parts for those cars and also that nobody wanted to work on them. So back years ago, you bought a Toyota, you bought a Datsun, and you bought it to Ray's Garage in you know, Keokuk, Iowa, on Main Street. And you go, I ain't working, I don't know anything about those foreign cars. And then you tried to get parts for it. So what they basically did is that as far as the parts network was concerned, they put a very concerned effort into that to make sure that the parts were available and that they went out to get a lot of dealerships or places to work on the cars but that was secondary the the that's after the person bought it the thing is that you had to first convince them to buy it so you had to you had to overcome this perception and whether the perception is real or not is moot because it's a perception just like with the guys walking down the street maybe the guy walking like i said the guy in the suit and tie could be a rapist uh 
all right the other guys could be going to sunday to, to bible study but your perception of things <clears throat> so what happened is within the auto industry that they <clears throat> what the japanese did in the <clears throat> in the orders they collectively got together and they wanted to identify what people were looking at and what people's perception it ended up becoming the perception of quality and what they identified was that when you went into a car showroom so you went to go look at a, a new Datsun is that the first thing that you would look at would be the paint even if you knew nothing about cars all right you'd look at the paint you would look at the body lines you know nothing about cars my wife charlotte god bless her lover knows nothing about cars look at the body lines and you would open and close the door and open and close the trunk and what have you they wouldn't open the hood probably but you would do all of that so what they really emphasized was that they needed to give the person the perception of quality because their first exposure to this vehicle was a perception of how of how it's put together so they actually became a whole discipline and I, maybe that's if somebody who is in the engineering community will probably say that's not really true but so a quasi discipline but it became a whole study behind the door that it was actually called you could look it up <coughs> the door thud t-h-u-d so the sound of the door when it closed so the thing is that if you look at the domestic auto industry, and you know, Volkswagen had some of this also, but they didn't take the scientific approach and the psychological approach that the Japanese did. And if you look at and if you look at the way, if you look at the auto industry, right, they the domestic auto industry paid no attention to the way the sound of the door was when you closed it. And we, uh, and the proverbial not the slam boom like you're fighting with somebody, but the slam to close the door, and not that you would want to rattle, but the, that the sound of the door as it closed became the and what was identified by the Japanese is that the consumer likes a nice solid thud, and when the person closes the door and they used to instruct the salesman, so you went into a Honda dealership, you went into a Datsun or Toyota dealership, they guy salesman was supposed to say, look, look how the boom, look how the door sounds when it closes, and and it, that is the first one of the major things that gives the person a perception of quality. So the Japanese went and did this whole big study and then emphasized the this, I'm saying a perception, right? The, nobody's going to deny that the door sounds nice when it closes, but that does not mean that the hinge is going to last. But as a consumer, you're walking into the showroom and you hear the door goes nice thud, and I'm repeating, it's called the door thud and there was millions of dollars spent on identifying the actual right sound for a door to close for you to hear oh, oh that's quality that's good oh my buick don't sound like that when i close the door my plymouth don't sound like that and then what happens is that becomes the catalyst or that becomes the seedbed for you to go to, to now in your mind just like the two guys walking with the suit your, your your heart rate didn't increase your pulse didn't go up nothing happened because they didn't look like a threat so now you've laid the foundation of the perception of a quality vehicle now the next thing that they did was that and i'm i'm getting to a point with this is but this is the background because this is the history of it this is not a woke show we're not rewriting history this is the truth and the next thing they did <coughs> the japanese back 40 years ago was that they paid a lot of attention to the body lines the fit and fin people use the word fit and finish consumer reports beats it to death the car magazines and yes fit and finish is important but just like those guys walking down the street with the that looked like they were gang bangers they could have a bible in their hand but you're just looking at the gang banger look right gold chains around their neck and tattoos and what have you so <clears throat> the other thing like i said was the body lines and the fit and finish so the gaps now the average person is not going to look and go there with a with a feeler gauge and measure the gap on a car in the dealership 
but psychologically just like but believe it or not they, like I, i'm repeating it they spent a lot of money on these studies all right and what they did is that when the person looks at the car i'm going to pick on my wife again charlotte right she looks at the car she doesn't know what she's looking at but if you see that the that the that the gaps between the door and the fenders the the hood and what have you uh, uh, are very tight very close not a large gap that also gives you the perception of quality and then the other main idea that and, and along with the door thud there was stuff like the way the glove box latch feels when you close it but the door thud is what started everything that was the most important thing was the sound of the door uh the sound of the door of uh when it closes right the same thing with the trunk but specifically the door and then the next thing that they emphasized was the uh the feel of the switch gear inside the vehicle so if so you those three things so they were very 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 concerned with the door thud the the gap between the body panels and then the the feel of the switch gear so when you turn the headlights on that the switch felt nice and smooth and and we all enjoy that i mean we enjoy we enjoy it you like a nice switch you don't like the switch where it feels like it's gonna bust off in your hand right but the thing is that it was the perception of quality now it did not mean it was quality and i'm not going to say it meant that it was not quality all right so if you have nice nice fit and finish of the body panels where the gaps are nice and even that doesn't mean that the that the rod bearings aren't going to go or the motor's not going to blow up in thirty thousand miles but it's but it gets you to sign on the line and then what it also establishes in your mind is that this is a quality piece and if you look at the psychology that the psychology of the auto industry which is now coming into the farm equipment aspect of it because they're starting to do these jd powers type of things or what have you is that if going back to our people walking down the street if if you walk two blocks away two blocks away past those guys with the suit and ties and a cop ran up to you and said did you did you see somebody there's two guys that that that, that mugged an old lady mugged an old lady did you see them they're wearing gray suits and ties and you say it's crazy those guys weren't gonna mug an old lady all right so today in today's world they call it profiling right well you anti-profile the reverse profile said no they didn't they were nice guys you never spoke to these guys you never saw them you just saw them in a suit and tie and you're saying that that no it must have been the other guys with the with the leather vests on and the gold chains that they must have mugged the old lady and that the cop is saying no 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 those guys were those guys that you said with the tattoos were chasing the guys trying to get the old lady's purse back all right so you laid a foundation and what happens what happened in the auto industry is that so you bought this car i'm going to pick on a datsun for no particular reason so you bought this datsun you like the way the door closes everything you like the way the switches feel and now you go you buy it you go down the road and i'm not saying they're good or bad i'm not saying anything but there was this perception of quality that came into the industry that already established it was like the seed bed like when you plant the crop you have a proper seed bed it was the seed bed for you to believe it's a quality vehicle and then you so now you go down the road metaphorically down the road 30 40 50 thousand miles and this Datsun has a has a major mechanical failure so now you go and you say to yourself oh my god I had a major mechanical failure but you have this perception of quality so now what you basically do is you don't black give the whole brand the black eye you have your the the, the 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 proverbial water cooler talk is oh man i bought a datsun it's such a good such a well-built car and my the crankshaft fell out of it right boy i'm the one who gets the bad one right so and if you look at the consumer reports you look at all these surveys then if you talk to people that they feel that they got the bad luck they got the bad one because they already the company already established a perception of quality it's the guys in the suit and tie they didn't mug the old lady the other guys must have done it and you just happened to get the bad the bad one now and if you look at now another thing a lot of people didn't know about back then and this is all true i'm a christian man i'm not fabricating this whatsoever is that 
back in the late 70s through the mid 80s is the Japanese car companies, all right, would pay off the car. Well, they wouldn't pay off the car magazines. And the, ma- the car and drivers, the motor trends, the road and tracks, all of those, that <clears throat> they would leverage them and they would not buy any ads with them unless they got a glowing report from about their cars and if you look back then and and the 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 domestic brands did not do that whatsoever and the other thing is now i don't know about the japanese but i noticed for bmw because i worked in their engineering department many years later as a test test and test engineer test driver and every bmw that went to a magazine had a minimum of three thousand miles because i was one of the guys who had to run up the miles they used to give them to give them to me to go back and forth back to the farm here even though it wasn't the car i was testing i would i we had to have to go to oil take take this five series please put some miles on shawl and i went down to florida in a five series because it needed some miles before it went to car and driver and other magazines went into the press form what they would basically do was take that car we would run it three thousand miles 2800 i think to three thousand they were usually i think it was 2500 if i remember correctly i don't think they, they they didn't want too high a number on the odometer we document everything that we didn't like about it he would go into the engineering department which at the time happened to be in new jersey and everything would be gone through with a fine tooth comb uh the alignment would be perfect this would be perfect lots of times you know volkswagen got in trouble with the diesels for sell for for selling the cars with the different calibration well <laughs> whatever all right you know there's a lot of tricks you could do in the calibration boy that thing runs like a bear right so we'll leave it at that and then they would go out into the press fleet and they would go out there and get glowing reports we had a good glowing reports whereas you took a ford or a chevy or a chrysler and however it came off the assembly line they would wash it and put it into the press fleet and that was the real deal all right so the thing is that so there was this perception of quality but the perception of quality came about <clears throat> with the japanese to be to to lay this foundation in the showroom for them to look at it so now the thing basically is why am i going through all of this because what happens is that this same mentality is coming into the agricultural machinery industry as far as my viewpoint is concerned and this is my opinion uh i may be wrong and uh but and i'm not saying it is not quality but the fact of the matter is that when you look at something you need to look at a piece of equipment you need to look at a, a part you need to look at a hey you're buying a rebuilt alternator right which you shouldn't buy rebuilt should buy reman right so the thing basically is that <clears throat> i bought a reman alternator years ago my dad was alive for my wife's zx2 and uh the alternator crapped out on it and i usually fix my own alternators but it was i went to ford and i bought a said i'm not going to the robots so i'm buying a ford reman alternator and i've said this on the show many times that i believe that you should always buy a ream if you're not going to buy new buy a reman part from that manufacturer so i bought a reman alternator from ford put it on her car sent her on her way two weeks later stopped charging all right and i think it was just a regulator all right but i didn't take it apart and so it stopped charging and put i went back to ford obviously they warranted it they gave me another one that one's on when my dad was alive my dad died 12 years ago this summer that one's on the car so the thing basically is is that but so you go to the auto parts store and you buy a reman alternator and you get a perception of quality so you say well man look how nicely the case is painted look how nicely the pulley is shiny oh there's nice black shiny but there's new bolts and i'm not saying that that is not important don't get me wrong but that is only one metric that you need to look at so it checks the box for a visual versus here's ray's alternator repair where the case is all corroded and everything but that guy could have the best bearings in there the best electronics in there but you don't know that at that particular point so the thing is that as we start to get into this and and this mindset comes into the industry the agriculture industry it's well permeated is that and you're looking to buy either a new piece of equipment or you're looking to buy a a a part and i'm going to go back let me go back to the performance industry because i think this is a good textbook example is that back in the mid 80s 
into the late 80s, into the 90s. Uh, GM had the two import motors and what have you, and they had a cast throttle body on them. And it was, I'm not a metallurgist, it was some sort of white metal or something, I don't know, cast throttle body. They were great throttle bodies. They didn't look pretty. They were from, right from the factory. That's what you got when you bought a Corvette, a two-import Corvette or a Camaro, or, or, or a Camaro Firebird, that's you got this throttle body. It was a 48-millimeter throttle body, two throttle plates, and it flowed about 650 CFM. Never gave you an issue. Never gave you an issue. And then the aftermarket came out and they said, okay, fine. What we're going to basically do is we're going to make a billet throttle body and billet out a billet piece of aluminum. And I remember taking a customer of mine out from Long Island, real nice guy. His name was Terry. And uh, he went to the PRI show with me. And he had a turbo Trans Am and a new Zero One Corvette at the time. And I took him to the PRI show with me. And it was, I think it was in Cincinnati. I forgot where it was. We flew there. And uh, he's looking around at this stuff. And he was a, uh, he was a, uh, he wasn't a, he was a, I think a, um, it, it was a, what do you call it, a, a physician's assistant in an operating room. So he was an educated guy, real nice guy. All right. He was, you know, just, I mean, one click away from being a doctor. All right. And uh, didn't want to be a doctor because he didn't want the insurance re- 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 responsibility. But anyway, so you're looking at this. I remember Terry looking at this throttle body. So if you, and they had, a, I forgot what company it was. All right. And they had a GM throttle body there or a Ford throttle body. This happened to be a GM. And they had their aftermarket high flow throttle body. And then and it was billet aluminum. And one of the things that was happening at that time is that the proliferation of cnc equipment uh was really taking hold so you were able to get a cnc machine and not be the level of machinist that you needed to do to to produce a part so a lot of companies would go, were making this stuff out of cnc and they would make it out of billet aluminum because they could buy a piece of billet and they could just machine it down they didn't have to make a mold they didn't have to have a foundry they didn't have to cast it and do all of that so there was a lot of dynamics there like most things in life that come into play that are behind the scenes if you really look at it all right so so they're looking so he's looking at this beautiful billet throttle body and he's got this in one hand he's got the left one the billet on the right hand he's got the gm one goes, what a piece of junk this gm one is compared to this one right because the billet one was shiny it was beautiful it was more square uh and what have you forget about that it had bigger throttle plates in it. let's just say forget about that aspect because that was moot at this particular point it had 58 millimeter instead of 48 millimeter throttle plates in it right you know, and i remember exact words well look at the technocracy and i never had heard that word technocracy before and i have to look it up <laughs> maybe maybe it does exist exist so he was looking at all this shiny stuff that he thought was fantastic and then we were at dinner that night i was going to say tonight i said to him terry remember that beautiful th- oh man that thing is beautiful it's like jewelry right he said to compare that junk from gm right everybody wants to kick gm and ford in the in the in the, in the uh house whatever cook and say in the knees be, be christian man i don't want to say some another body part i said to him i would never put that throttle body on your engine not that they made one for his but he goes why i said to him because the metallurgy is all wrong those billet throttle bodies, no matter who made it, all right, The so a perception of quality versus the GM one is that uh, when it got hot underneath the hood, the throttle would stick and wouldn't return because the rate of expansion between the billet aluminum and the the shaft of the that 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 went through that held the throttle plates and the steel throttle throttle plates would mean that 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 it wouldn't stick at 3000 rpm but what would happen is that you would close the throttle would hang up at 14 1500 rpm and you'd go crazy with it and it was because of the so your perception of it and then what would happen is that some of the parts the the, the fresh air cover on the top and other things were in a slightly different location than uh the factory one the factory one i've never had a factory with four hundred thousand miles throttle body where it's stuck all right 
but the the billet ones, the aftermarket that gave the perception of better quality, higher quality, the perception, just like the door thought, oh man, this is great. I'm throwing out my throttle button. I'm putting one of these on here. Look how great this is. So the thing basically is that lots and most times in life is that the perception, and you know, you could look at it, you know, this is probably, I'll call this the dirty little secret show, right? <laughs> the thing is that, <clears throat> you know, you look at these and you could you could do this yourself. Don't take my word for it. It has nothing to do with cars, with farm machinery. When I tell you I have listeners in 83 countries around the world, and I'm not bragging, I'm using that as an example. That's real. I'll take that to court because those are my statistics. But you'd be surprised. Do, do, don't, don't, don't believe me you do it all right go on your whatever your, your phone your computer whatever you have right and do how to buy podcast downloads how to buy or, or buy buy youtube views that a lot of these people you go oh my god this guy is so popular he's got so many downloads he's got so many likes he's got so much there's a whole industry that's based upon the perception of of and these people are buying these downloads they're buying, and there's certain there's certain podcast hosting sites that I'm not going to mention them here because I don't want to get into trouble. You do your own research and make your own your own conclusions that are very ripe for buying. Oh, this is the this is the most famous podcast in the world. Nobody ever heard of it, right? And and this guy, oh, this guy, YouTube. Look at this guy. Look at this guy with this YouTube. He's got so. Oh my God, he's got so many followers. The guy on Twitter. Oh my God, look at all the followers. He's got a blue check and everything, right? You could go for pennies, you buy that. And that's the marketing approach people do, is that they go out there and because of the algorithms in the social media, there's algorithms in YouTube, algorithm in Facebook, is that they go out there and they you're able to, and like I said, check it out, do a Google search, buy podcast downloads, buy, buy YouTube views, buy likes for social media. And they have these programs, all right, and uh, that... And it's cheating, it's cheating. But what you're basically doing, and if and and I know people who I don't do that. You could believe me or not believe me, but I will not do that because I. First of all, that's unchristian. I'm not going to perceive, make a perception that I have listeners or perception of so many YouTube views. Not that I have YouTube, but that's what people do. And then they use that as a catalyst and say, oh, that guy must be great because he's got 10 million views or 10 million or maybe you have crazy numbers, right? And just like that door thud, they look at that. So, And then some company comes, oh, we want to advertise with Joe Schmo because he's over there and he's got 10 million people. He's got, 10, he's got three listeners, but he bought 10 million downloads, right? So whatever. So just like the door thud doesn't mean that the bearings are good. So let's get back to the door thud. Well, when I was a young man, and I bought a 70, I didn't buy it new, it was three years old. So to me, that was a new car, it's still a new car. I bought a 79 Datsun 210. And it was from a person who, they, not that lives too far away, he was a lawyer, and he bought it, he used to commute to Newark. And I bought it, it was three years old, I bought it for $500. And <clears throat> I won't mention this man's name, but uh, he ended up becoming a judge and uh and he was so impressed by this Datsun and he fell for the door thud thing I didn't know about that time I was he was older than I am and he was he was a lawyer he wasn't a judge at that time and he uh he was and whatever I won't I won't expand upon it well let me put it this way the, he sold me the car with 50,000 miles well not excuse me 100,000 99,000 miles all right, and he was so impressed by the way that the switch gear felt, and the, he didn't know anything about cars, but he fell for this whole thing. I don't know what the hell he had before that. All right, because when I met him, he already had this car. When we met him, he came to the farm stand. That's how we met him. My father started to talk to him. So uh, every 50,000 miles would burn a valve. The car, the, 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 the Philip panel in the back was all rusted out. The car was rusting. It was three years old three years old right so he did a valve job at 50,000 miles had Dotson do a valve job sold it to me at 99,000 miles with a burnt valve again I bought the car three-year-old car nobody ever sat in the back seat 
Nobody ever sat in the passenger seat. He usually used it to go back and forth to, to work for a law firm 50 miles away. The thing, all right, I bought it for $500. Even back then, $500 for a three-year-old car. All right, the thing is that <laughs> the I did a valve job on it, pulled the head off, put, did, brought it to the machine shop, all new valves, new everything in it, right? Put it back together, all right? Uh, did some other stuff to it. The radio, the radio was, uh, we had a station started a few years earlier in Hackettstown, WRNJ. I couldn't get WR, it was an AM radio. Five five feet from WRNJ, couldn't get the radio. Couldn't, I, I couldn't get the, the station in clearly. The car was a piece of junk, but the doors closed beautifully with all the rust. I remember one time I went to go put the windshield washer on and no windshield washer, not, not spring. So I said, ah, it must have been out of fluid, right? So I, whatever, I go get back to the farm. I open up the hood. I said, Jesus, plenty of fluid in there. The washer, the <laughs> the water, the pump, the, the electric motor for the washer pump was underneath on the bottom of the of the tank. The thing rusted out, and the armature fell out. I mean, so and then same thing happened with the with the with the with the dome light. One day the dome light didn't work. I said, oh, it's got to have a bulb. The bulb rusted away. Right. So the thing basically is, as I start, they bring this took almost an hour now bringing it to closure. The what I want to say to you is that how do you get around the perception of quality? You can't, all right? Just like if you don't listen to my show or if you don't date a girl or a girl doesn't date a guy, you're not going to get married on the first date, right? So the thing is that you can't get around this perception of quality. But the thing is what you can do, so let's say you're looking to go buy a new tractor. And when I, you know, and when I was at the Commodity Classic, there was the brand, I think, Branson Tractors. And nice-looking tractor. I mean, it looked, it was styled nice, had beautiful paint on it. The one I looked at had a cab. Did the, the, the door thud test? Boy, the door really closed nicely. Had that, had that tractor cab, door thud, all right? So are those the things that I'm going to base? Well, yeah, those are good check marks to have, right? The paint is nice on it good paint the door closes nicely but what I'm but you as hot rod farmers you as 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 machinery people you as car guys you have to say great I checked those boxes and I and the thing is that now I have to look at the rest of the machine and I'm not saying that I'm, I did a superficial look at the brands I'm not saying it's a good tractor or a bad tractor but I know it had beautiful paint on it and the door the door to the cab closed had the had the hallmark door thud and the president of the company was there he was from Korea I said oh I said to him door thud right and he looked at me he got free like he got nervous all right but the thing is that but it had I mean that's so we checked those boxes not taking anything away from it that 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 but what I'm instruct well, what I'm not instructing, I'm asking you to do is that when you go and look at a piece of equipment, and I don't care whether it's new or old, and a lot of people now are buying used farm equipment at auctions, they're buying because they're because of I hate the term supply chain or whatever, you can't get something, so they're buying used used pickup trucks, they're buying used tractors two, three, four hundred thousand dollars, is that you gotta look beyond the shiny paint. So if you're buying a used piece of equipment, then you you know just because the guy I remember when I was in college, there was a guy, I forgot what his name was. The guy had a Cadillac. I don't know how he had a Cadillac. It was only a couple of years old, Cadillac Coupe Deville. Boy, he kept this thing polished up beautifully. Man, good. I mean, I think he must have waxed it every day. The car was the car was 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 gorgeous. Mechanically, it was a piece of junk. You open up the hood, it was filthy dirty underneath there. The, it, 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 and I remember it. I at the tailpipe. I forgot what his name was. I'll call him Richie. He said Richie. This thing runs like whatever excrement, right? All he was worried about was waxing it. All right. So the thing is that there's so so you go put that car in a used car lot, and the perception of quality is there because look how beautifully waxed it is. Yeah, that's fine. That's one of the check marks that you need to look at. So the purpose why I went into this for an hour is that not buyer beware, but the fact of the matter is that you need to look beyond the perception of quality. The perception of quality is one check mark. So you're in the marketplace, you're buying an or used alter or not used, a rebuilt alternator, remanufactured alternator. All right. 
Now, I'm not saying to go home and take it apart, even though I do that. All right, some of them you can't, and you're running a farm. You've got to get this tractor going back again, this spray, this hay bind, whatever. You're not going to sit there and make love to the earth there. But what I want to do is hopefully this episode of Idle Chatter will give you a trained eye to look beyond the perception of quality and maybe take a little flashlight and look to see what the inside the alternator see what the brushes look like spin it and see what the bearings feel like right you're buying a new piece of equipment all right you're buying a new truck you're buying a new you're buying a new farm tractor right you get in the farm tractor boy that case that door closes beautifully boom like that that thud boy the switch gear feels great now you're spending three four hundred thousand dollars open the hood look at how the wiring harnesses run look at other aspects of it look at look at so on the drive shafts all right or any or pto shaft not pto whatever the uh uh the uh, manual front wheel drive whatever you want to call it look to see how the boots look look to look to see how the how the visual of the engine i mean i'm going to go pull the bearings out of it but you know how did they put that together do 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 uh you know and a lot of this gets fo- i don't want to say gets phony up gets hidden because they spray paint them afterwards but anyway the thing is that what i'm trying to say to you look at that go look at the fasteners say geez you know these look like they're cheap fasteners i mean there's things that you could look at and see it's it's not going to be a hundred percent you know conclusive you're not going to be able to look at it and say and know everything but i want you to look the kittens are starting they must woke up they want to be fed uh but i want you to look beyond the perception of quality so the thing is that that look look at the mechanical aspect of it and if you're buying a piece of used farm equipment it's very important and i've said this many times before yes you know maybe you know when they say appearances sell and that's the perception of quality nobody wants to bring bring home a three hundred thousand dollar pre-owned we can't say used anymore pre-owned farm tractor with the paint all faded you know that thing looks like crap well i'd rather have a three hundred thousand dollar paint faded tractor that i did a pulled a pulled an oil analysis on i pulled a coolant analysis and a hydraulic fluid analysis and found out that it's beautiful inside i look at all the zerk fittings and all the well everything was greased and the grease was wiped off all right i'd rather look at all of that because you're looking at the shiny paint that's a perception of quality and that's a used piece of equipment but with a new piece of equipment you have to go beyond that and you have to 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 crawl underneath it i mean even like and you know how many people today buy a truck pickup truck for their farm they buy a piece of farm equipment and they don't look under the hood if they look under the hood they do a superficial look under the hood you know crawl underneath it all right look to see study it all right you go out into the field and you study your crop or hopefully you do all right you go into your into your barns you study your cows you study your, your your hogs your chickens see what's going on all right the thing basically is you're spending x amount of dollars whether it's ten thousand or three hundred thousand it makes no difference all right you have to look at that and see that because all of these companies today and no disrespect to anybody whatsoever is that they all got this from the car industry and the thing is that there's some some implements and they go and, and i look at them and say man this is beautiful paint and that has value i'm not going to say it has no intrinsic value because if it has better paint then it's going to be less prone to chipping it's be less prone to rust so there is intrinsic value there but don't think just because it has great paint that it has great bearings in it so so don't paint that picture for your mind and say oh he's the guy with the suit and tie he's not gonna knife me with a shiv when he walks by and rob me and think that the other guy is so you need to be an educated consumer and the reason why i wanted to do this show today is because to, because there are a lot of people looking to buy farm equipment there's a lot of people looking to buy trucks there's a lot of people looking to buy implements and i want you to have an educated eye on it and you may say well i bought this you know the paint is not as nice as and you know another one that was famous that was mercedes mercedes had the most expensive paint i mean bmw paint was nowhere near as good as mercedes 
beautiful, beautiful paint. I mean, I'm not a body man, but if you look at what a gallon of Mercedes paint was for years ago, not today, a gallon of Mercedes paint 25, 30 years ago versus a gallon of paint for a Buick or a Ford, you could buy a 55-gallon drum for what a gallon of paint would be for a Mercedes. The quality of the paint was beautiful, right? It was beautiful, no denying it. That was a perception of quality, right? Was the drivetrain as beautiful as the paint? No, all right? And people used to, used to they fell into this, and they used to say, well, European quality, German engineering, all right? You know, uh, or what have you. And this is not taking anything away from anybody, but just like you can't, you, you, you can't judge a person by their appearance, that you have to look at your investment on your for your farm for your equipment. You have to go beyond the appearance. Important appearance, yes, because it's going to show some level of quality. All right, but that does not necessarily mean that that level of quality follows all the way through. And I even said this on the show to you a while back, and I'm going to get going because I kept you too long. I went to the Commodity Classic, stayed at that hotel, right? Gorgeous, uh, uh, Curio by Hilton. The uh, I forgot what it was called, but that was the that was the the brand Curio. The thing was called the Higgins. Gorgeous, gorgeous hotel. There was a paper. There was like I, I said it in the show. For, I was there for three days. The same piece of tissue paper was laying in the hallway. All right. I don't care about the million dollar a million dollar uh, elevator plated with gold. They didn't clean my room. I asked them three times to clean my room. They never cleaned my room. So. So basically, the perception when you come into this place, man, this place at the restaurant, the service was terrible, terrible. The guy was very polite. It was terrible. I mean, my breakfast got cold before I got milk for my coffee, right? So the perception of quality was there. You'd come in, oh, man, this is the Higgins Hotel. This is Hilton Curio Collection. Boy, look at this. It's gorgeous, right? right? The thing, I was over at years ago, not that many years ago, I was down at the... uh, I forgot what it was called. Uh, the Four Seasons in Baltimore, Baltimore Harbor. Uh, it was brought there by by Black and Decker by uh, for a tool thing. They brought us all down there. That, my and my room was a thousand dollars a night. All right, I went to the restaurant. The presentation was beautiful. The food stank. It was not even diner food, but the perception of quality. You know, oh, this is, oh, this is the greatest stuff in the world. So please, 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 do not let that fool you it's one box that you need to check in your buying decision and you need to look beyond that and specifically when you're buying used equipment or pre-owned equipment and then sadly as i close now you are not going to know what it is until you go down that road but at least if you perform your due diligence and don't get fooled then you could say, well, I made this decision. Anybody buy something, you buy a car, you buy a tractor, you get married, right? You can do your due diligence and hopefully that's the best decision, right? But until you put some mileage on and get or hours, get it down the road, you're not going to know. But don't be fooled by the perception of quality and know that what I told you on this show today is 100% real and it's the, little, it's the dirty little secret of the auto industry that you will not hear anyplace else. So I want to thank you so much for tuning in and please know that the hot rod farmer is pulling for you the american farmer and rancher and my beloved beloved america you have a blessed day and you take care bye bye